Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, beginning in verse uh, 17. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. Well, beloved, we are now in the final verses of the book of Hebrews. I know you never thought we would get here, but here we are in the final verses. And uh, as we draw this chapter and an entire epistle to closure, I hope you've learned as much as I have in the book of Hebrews uh, over these last couple of years, as the Lord has truly deepened my understanding of Christ through this study and how Christ fulfills the law. That was very important. As a matter of fact, I think I actually probably have a much deeper and better understanding of the book of Leviticus than I ever have uh, because of the book of Hebrews. And uh, because the two are so closely tied together, Hebrews really helps explain a lot of what was going on in the book of Leviticus, truly going on. I've also been confronted uh, with some issues in my own, uh, in my own along the way. I may not have been tempted to fall back to Judaism, that's for sure, because of trials, temptations, and tribulations. Uh, but I've certainly been tempted to allow trials and tribulations, perhaps even persecution to alter my walk at times, or be tempted to alter my walk at times. I've been challenged to mature in my faith, to quit making it all about me and my personal preferences, and to realize that Jesus is better uh, in all things. To do the hard work of a good Berean and dig deeper and discover the richness and fullness of God's word and not just take a topical view and then sprinkle in my personal preferences but to really do the hard work. And personally, this has been the most challenging book of the Bible to exegete properly, staying in context, staying to the true meaning of the text. It's not an easy book to do that in. Some books are a lot easier uh, to interpret, to exegete. This one is not one of those. This is a challenging book. Well, rather than recapping the entire last section as I normally do each week for you, I want to jump right into our text because it's primarily springing off verse 7. Verse 7 is when we first get introduced to our leaders, and then we pick it up and get verse 17. There's a slight variance, but he's really talking about the same group of people. And, uh, well, before we get to that, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I come before your throne of grace. And in this very epistle, we are told, Lord, to come to your throne of grace with confidence. Not confidence in us, Lord, not confidence in what we have done, but confidence in what Christ has done on our behalf. Father, you have granted us access to your very throne room every time we close our eyes in prayer. What a privilege that is. Or that's, that's something that the Old Testament saints could only dream of. And yet, Lord, we have that and so many other riches of the inheritance that we have since we are in Christ. But, Father, today there's a specific challenge to the leaders here. And, Father, I pray that you would be with us in this hour as it's a mutual understanding of what the leaders are accountable to do and what the flock is accountable to do in response. So, Father, give us open 
arts, uh, open hearts, open eyes, and open mind to your truth. May we not just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers of your word as well. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now you may remember that the, the word, the church leaders are mentioned actually three times in the book of Hebrews. First in verse 7 where I just want to recap, we spent a lot of time in there. So these are just some highlights for you, but you will remember. Uh, we were encouraged to remember your leaders and uh, with this identifying phrase, those who spoke to you the word of God. They are designated there as those who led, those who led. And he is speaking specifically of the spiritual shepherds, the leaders and the pastors. We are encouraged to remember four specific things about them. First of all, that they faithfully exercised the ministry of the word. It was all about the word. And they were faithful to preach it in season and out of season. The full context, the full scope, the full counsel of the word of God. Not just pulling back the things, uh, skipping over the things that were difficult to teach, but preaching the word of God. Not their own ideas, not their own opinions, not their own feelings, but the word of God. They were teaching you the Bible, the whole council. Secondly, they lived consistently with their faith. Remember at verse 7, consider the outcome of, the way, of their way of life. In other words, the author of Hebrews saying, observe how they live their life. Remember them, he tells them. And you don't ask somebody to remember somebody unless they were part of your life, unless they were willing to be invested in your life, whether they were will, if they were willing to be, to spend the time and to give of themselves to be a part of your life. He's saying, remember them. That's what they did with you. They were personally involved in the lives of the flock. They had both a personal relationship and a pastoral relationship with them. They cared about them. Again, they were willing to invest they're willing to teach them. They cared about how they were living their lives. Lastly, in verse uh, number four, he tells them to imitate their faith. Not just imitate their life. Not just imitate the things they're doing in their life, but specifically imitate their faith. And then in verse eight, remember, he tells them what was so unique about their faith is that it was grounded in the unchangeable Jesus Christ. That was the very foundation of why they were such powerful leaders is because it wasn't grounded in a whole array of things. It was grounded in the unchangeable Christ. And at a time when false doctrine was flying everywhere, the author of Hebrews wants to remind them, these leaders did it right. They never wavered in the truth of the gospel. They taught you the whole counsel of God. They never shied away from that. And their faith was not faith in themselves. It was not faith in anything other than the unchangeable Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, the other place in which we see the word leaders is in our text here today in verse 17 and then again in verse 24. Now, based upon the rest of the New Testament, our author here is referring to elders specifically. He's going to loop in deacons as well. His deacons are assisting the elders in the leadership of the church. 
But here he's really, he's really focusing in on the elders of the church. There's three words that are used for the office of elder. There is presbyteros. There'll be a quick quiz later, so you might want to jot these. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do this. There's the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. That's often translated elder in your Bible. Then there is the Greek word episkopi or episkopos. And that is the word overseer, sometimes translated bishop. And thirdly, there's the word poimen, which is translated shepherd. So you have an elder, an overseer, and a shepherd. Now, these words appear to be interchangeable in the New Testament for one who holds to the standards of this office. In fact, this is why we call elders pastors and pastors elders. They perform the same function. They have the same authority and the same responsibility in the church. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders. And in verse 17, he calls them presbyteros, elders. And in verse 28, he calls them overseers and shepherds. He's talking to the same group of men. Something else what you will notice about uh, any of the passages that refer to elders is that they are always in the plural. There is no such thing as a singular elder in the leadership of the church. It is always done in plurality. And they are mutually, mutually accountable as leaders. We do not appoint men to elders, incidentally. Rather, we seek to recognize those to whom the Holy Spirit has given those qualifications and gifts. So we don't go and pick one. We carefully study the group, the flock, if you will, and we look for those traits consistently. Are they living out the traits that God says are the marks of those who are elders, shepherds, overseers? God has also appointed deacons to assist the elders. You can see, read that in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, or Acts chapter 6, again, when we're choosing a deacon. God has also ordained how he wants leadership in his church, and that is detailed throughout the New Testament. In the book of Acts, the instruction is given to appoint elders in every city. So appoint elders in every church. Also in the book of Titus, we see that same instruction is repeated. So that in every local congregation, there were men who were leaders of that congregation. And so it was in our little church here in Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews has some very, instru- very important instructions for both the leaders, the elders, and the flock. He wants to make sure that they're clear. Remember, they're facing persecution. Remember, false teachers are trying to infiltrate and try to get them to disperse, try to, try to divide them, try to get them to stray away from their faith. He said, first of all, remember your past leaders, those who were already promoted to glory, and your current leaders. This is what he's talking about now, your current leaders. Now, why, he says here, why not just imitate their faith like, the, uh, like their past leaders? Notice here in verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So point number one in your notes, why does he not just say just imitate their faith? That's the given. 
He's already talked about that. That's what the past leaders do. That's what the current leaders are going to do. But here now he adds something for the current leaders, which is what? Imitate, he says, uh, obey and, I'm sorry, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because elders, in your notes, keep watch over your souls. Elders, keep watch over your souls. Church members are to follow the leaders that God has placed over them. Turn in your Bibles. You can keep your place in Hebrews, but turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to remind you here again. Verse 11. He's talking about gifts that Christ has given the church, gifting. And so he gave some as apostles, verse 11, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. There's a word poimen again. For what reason? For the equipping of the saints. And what are we equipping them for? For the work of service to the building up or the edification of the body of Christ. So, God has placed these leaders over your life to be spiritual shepherds over you, to watch over your souls. How do they do that? Listen carefully. Listen carefully to those who proclaim God's word. Are they faithfully preaching the Bible? Uh, from, are they faithfully preaching the word of God from the Bible? Are they giving full attention to the public ministry of God's word. Secondly, seek individual counsel and instruction from your leaders. Follow their example of faith and conduct and obey God's word as it is faithfully preached to you and then apply that godly counsel from God's word as you receive that instruction. Notice also that we are told to obey and submit to their authority. Turn, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians. Go back a just a couple books here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And we see this instruction again. This isn't the only place that we see this here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge or rule over you or authority over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Notice there's no qualifiers here in any of this. It doesn't say obey and submit if you like them. Obey and submit are not very popular words in our culture today, are they? Matter of fact, they're never easy for us of such rebellious hearts. Nevertheless, we are to be teachable and easy to lead as we obey and submit to our leaders' spiritual authority over us. And in case you didn't know, elders also need to submit to one another. There is no such, elders are always in plural and they submit to one another. It's not in our church, for example. I don't carry all the sway as much as I would like to, guys. Always get my way. It never works that way. Okay? And oftentimes, what I think is a great idea goes down in flames before we're even done with that conversation. 
But that's how it works in the body of Christ. None of us have absolute authority. We rule and are accountable to each other, and we submit to each other's leadership. The church is not a democracy, nor is it a dictatorship. And our authority really stems when we are preaching and teaching and counseling the word of God to you. That's where our authority stems from. Far too many issues have arisen in when church leaders abuse that authority and that responsibility God has given them for their own selfish gains. Matter of fact, 1 Peter 5 warns specifically not to do that, not to lead in compulsion, not to, not to lead for your own sordid gains, not to be prideful. When you do not have God-ordained leaders who rule well, or you don't have people who are willing to submit and obey to the word that they are taught, you have disunity in the body of Christ. What was Jesus's request in his great high prayer? Father, I want them to be as one as we are one. You can't read through the book of Ephesians without seeing this theme over and over and over again. Unity, 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 unity. Actually, in Philippians as well, same thing. Which is why the author wants to remind the flock that these leaders have a greater accountability. And one of those greater accountabilities is that they are required, commanded. It's part of the accountability to watch over your souls. That Greek word means to keep yourself awake, to be alert, to be, to be uh, vigilant. And the image is drawn from shepherds who would keep watch at night as all the predators were trying to infiltrate. Shepherds had to stay alert in order to guard their flock. They had to know how to, how to, they had to know their sheep. They had to observe them carefully enough to know when a sheep was sick or missing or had strayed off. They had to go after the strays and try to restore them to the flock. They had to lead them to green pastures and fresh water to restore them. Beloved, that's a task that occurs 24-7, 365. There's never a time in the, in the word of God where elders are told, hey, it's, it's your time off. Quit worrying. Quit praying. Quit watching. Quit being vigilant. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. This accountability requires that you know your sheep and you know when they're headed into spiritual danger. And it requires you at times to have difficult conversations with people about the dangers that await them spiritually if they keep proceeding down this path. It requires you to sense when people are drifting in their faith and you have to have a willingness to lovingly confront them in their sin. Now, it's certainly true. You cannot lead someone whose heart is so hardened that they resist all instruction, but the effort to do so is still required of every elder. Now, I believe that, sadly, this has been more difficult in these last days than perhaps it was a century ago, because today, when you have that difficult situation, that conversation with somebody, usually their response is to just to pack up and go to another church rather than deal with, with the sin in their life. But unfortunately, they just take those sins with them to the next church if they don't deal with those. 
My friends, this has happened far more than you may ever realize, even here, where we've had to have very difficult conversations with somebody in sin over the years, many, many years now, and somebody has just left rather than deal with their sin. So shepherds must protect the sheep from their wolves. They must remain vigilant, awake, and alert. They must be willing to warn God's people of danger, even when they know it will not be received well. And might I add that this particular command is not just for elders. We also in the flock are accountable as well. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. When we see one, right, who is uh, caught in a sin or a trespass, depending on your translation, we who are spiritually mature are to do what? to restore them and help them carry their burdens. I'm, I'm paraphrasing verses 1 and 2. And on that note, if you've tried to help and they have not responded, please let your elders know so that we can come alongside and help as well. That being said, there's still a greater accountability for the elders because they will give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ for everything that they have done in leadership of his church. My friends, that's a serious thing. I just want you to ponder that for a second. That every elder will give an account for the way that we minister to the care of the souls that he has entrusted to us. Every single one. Every sermon I've ever preached. Every lesson I've ever done. I've ever done every devotional that I've done. Every visit. Every prayer. Every, all of it will be held up before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sobering thought. Quite honestly, it scares me. Because I wonder how many times I've fallen short. I already know the times where I've been made aware of that and had to repent. But what about all the times I don't know of yet? It's a sobering thought, my friends, for all elders. I don't know of any elder who has undertaken this responsibility with this biblical mandate to watch over your soul that's not sobered by the gravity of that verse. Your elders pray constantly that we will shepherd you well, that we will lead you well, that we will watch over you well, because we fully understand the accountability that God has placed upon us. And someday we will give an account for every soul that he has entrusted to us as we stand before him. It's not a burden, my friends. It is a privilege to do so. And the elders understand the accountability. But also with that comes great joy, which brings us to our second point. Point number one, elders keep watch over your souls. Point number two, as we read in verse 17, elders are to lead with joy. They are to lead willingly and joyfully without complaining. They should not be surprised that there are hardships in ministry. If they're reading their Bible, it's pretty evident that is going to be the case. The scriptures themselves paint a pretty vivid picture of their responsibilities and their requirements. Elders should find joy in God and his people. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Go back to 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 2. Look at verse 19, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, 
in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. For you are our glory and our joy. Like Christ, we need to look to the joy that's been set before us, elders, as we endure, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, as we run the race God has set before us. Well, what would be the things that would not cause joy for a shepherd? That would make it more difficult for an elder to have joy? Well, some sheep resent all authority, all authority over their lives. That sometimes exasperates things. Some grumble and complain, not looking to help, just looking to be critical all the time. Some want their ears tickled. Some are carried away by false doctrine. Some simply drift away, lured by the fleeting pleasures of the world. Notice that he states here that that would be unprofitable for us in the flock if there were no joy in the elders who have God has assigned care over you. There's a danger here, I think, sometimes when we read this verse, to think, well, I'm not going to bring that to the elders. I don't want to be a burden to them. But that's a misreading of this verse. This verse is really not talking about people going to their leaders with struggles and concerns that are difficult. It's actually in context here, talking about those who refuse to submit and obey the authority. That's really what he's talking about here. Sometimes, my friends, when we are in difficult situations, it's not the difficult situation that makes it the hard part. It's the hardness of hearts and the rebellion magnify it and then create something much, much worse. How can, how can sheep bring joy to their shepherds? Well, flip over to your right this time to third John chapter or third John verse four. There is no chapter four, third John verse four. Listen to the heart of a pastor here. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. There is no, no greater joy. My friends, this is every pastor's greatest joy. Seeing people come to Christ and then growing in Christ brings us a joy that is inexpressible. Helping someone mired in troubles and sins of this world to become free in Christ and to bear fruit is the greatest joy in our lives. Conversely, the things that keep elders at night is to see professing believers walk away from their faith or get caught up in the world or fall back into sin or abandon the church that Christ bought and paid for with his blood. Of all the tragic events and difficult situations that elders are there for to minister alongside you and bring you the comfort of God's word in your tragedy, this by far is the thing that keeps us awake at night. It's not the late night calls. It's not the 24-7, 365. It's not the 3 a.m. emergency calls. It's this, the falling away, the not bearing fruit, the abandonment of the church. Those are the things that keep elders up at night. This is the most difficult hurdle for elders to find joy in the ministry as they watch over your souls. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. I just want to show you this real quick. 
Look at verse 25. Now, we've already referenced this once before. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. And I want you to hear his heart in here. And now behold, I know, verse 25, Acts chapter 20, that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. And therefore, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to his ship. That is the heart of an elder. Point number one, elders keep watch over your soul. Point number two, elders are to lead with joy. Finally, very briefly, the writer of Hebrews wants his readers to remember their leaders, not only considering their life, not only clinging faithfully like they did to the unchanging Jesus Christ, not only standing firm and obeying and submitting for their spiritual leadership in their life, but finally they were to remember their leaders by remembering to pray for them. Point number three, elders are prayed for by the flock. Now, elders also pray constantly for you. Each one of you, if you know that or not, every week the elders pray for you individually and collectively. Every week, sometimes multiple times throughout the week. The last thing the writer asks is that his readers pray for his ability to return to them, to be among them once again. We see that. That seems clear enough. However, look at verse 18. He asks about their having a, uh, for them to pray about continuing to have a clean conscience and to act honorably. And clearly that's his point in mentioning this is that they would pray that he, that this would continue to be the case in their lives, that they would continue to carry out their ministries in a way that left their consciences clear and they would be honorable and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, friends, this is the most pressing need of the hour is that you pray for your leaders Pray without ceasing. One of the strategies in battle is to do whatever you can to take out the leaders on the opposing side because if you could do that, you can create some chaos. And my friends, let me tell you, that has been the strategy of the enemy for quite some time. 
to take out the leaders in God's churches and thereby introduce chaos and confusion into the body of Christ. Make no mistake, you are at war. This is a war. It is a spiritual war that is going on. And Satan would love nothing more than to take out the leaders in the church and create chaos and division. Let me plead with you, do not fail your leaders by failing to pray for them. It is your responsibility. Let me ask you to take seriously that urgent need that falls on all of us. That our consciousness will remain clear. That we will act and live and minister in ways that are honorable and honoring to the Lord. Well, finally, he closes with this benediction. We'll just go through this quickly before we partake in the Lord's Supper. Remember in verse 20, he says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Now, you're probably reading Hebrews and thinking, was, that was the brief letter, or it was the long letter. But this is, what he, this is how he looks at it. This epistle began, verse 20, telling us that in all that Christ is and does, is God, uh, is God, speaking in and through us, if you will. The great work of Christ is to bring God to have peace with the God of peace. And so the purpose of our Lord drawing us near is that God may have us or perfect us and work in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight as he conforms us more and more to the image of his son. How does he do that? He works in us, verse 21, and through us, Jesus Christ. And notice here, he calls us to look back as he began in chapter 1. He ends the same way, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then finally, he says, to suffer or bear this exhortation implies that perhaps there were some in the congregation who were opposed to what he was teaching. They were struggling with what he was teaching. And he says, bear under that. In other words, remain true. And then he ends it with his famous benediction, grace and peace, grace and peace. Here's what I want to leave you with. Men, if you would come forward as we prepare for communion. Will you remember your leaders, beloved? Will you remember them in prayer? Will you pray for them and encourage them as they watch over your souls? Will you pray for them against the